Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshah.net. Episode 27 No Tolerance for Violence. Hello there and welcome to another episode of If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. My name is Simon Lewis. Um, this week, um, at this time of the recording, uh, there's been two main stories going um, in the uh, media about education. Um, and if I was to summarise both the stories into their separate headlines, uh, you could probably um, summarise both of them as the first one. Um, uh, first headline would be it's totally fine for an eight-year-old to attack five members of staff with a hurl. And uh, the second headline would be schools that reduce children's uh, timetables are repulsive monsters. Um, yes, in this episode, I'll be exploring both these two stories, uh, which I'll explain in more detail. <laughs> Maybe you're listening to this well after uh, these events have fallen, faded into history. Um, and, you know, but basically I'll be looking at those two stories anyway and their impact and call me crazy, call me old fashioned. But I'll be saying that if I were the Minister for Education, I would ensure that violence towards school staff would not be tolerated. I've been uh, physically attacked twice in my career. Um, I obviously am not going to go into details on a, pos- on a, on a podcast, but t- suffice to say, um, nothing uh, was done about either of those incidents. Now, am I annoyed about it? You know, maybe a little bit. Maybe I'm a little bit. But really, what could have been done? Um, Basically, as I said in the introduction, two stories emerged um, in the last couple of weeks at this time of the recording, um, basically where um, one was about an eight-year-old boy that was expelled from his school after attacking um, five members of staff with a hurling stick or a hurl. And um, basically, um, when they appealed, uh, his family appealed the expulsion um, uh, from Section 29, which is the process one would go through if you were appealing an expulsion. Basically, just to give a bit more of a summary of the story, I mean, fine, you, you can attack people with a hurl, but two members of staff actually were hospitalised uh, as a result of it, according to the article, um, which I, I would deem as extremely serious, um, I, I guess. Um, but anyway, they the appeal um, actually... Uh, overturned the decision to expel the child and at the time um, the school were trying to appeal that decision to the High Court obviously for the safety of uh, their staff and uh, others around them. That's the uh, first story. Um, The second story um, basically uh, was about and exp- uh, this this uh, this uh, thing about reduced timetables for children with additional needs uh, that schools um, are using them and they are terrible people for using them. Um, again, I'll go into more details, but basically there's high criticism of schools um, basically uh, for um, reducing some children's timetables and basically saying that it's all the school's fault and they need to be doing more um, to uh, ensure that every child is given a full school day no matter what. Uh, their needs now i'll be going into a lot more detail about that now the thing it is um i mean let's let's going back to the violent um episode of the 
of the eight-year-old. The reason I brought the second story up really is just because this is part of my um, part of my solution to the episode or part of, I don't know if it's a solution certainly, but it's certainly, it's impacted because generally when a child is violent in school, um, this, a school generally doesn't expel children. What they try and do is they try and keep them in school for as long as possible. Um, and if they continue to be violent, what they do, sometimes a tactic that might work or sometimes something that will help the child and rather than getting rid of them in order to help them cope during the day, because generally the violence, generally a child, in fairness, no matter what their needs, isn't violent because they're bad children or because they're evil or because there's something wrong with them. It comes from a place of distress. Um, nobody, I don't know anybody who is violent to somebody else if they aren't distressed themselves you know and 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 that goes for any um any human being from um i mean when is the last time you 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 know you would have you would have seen even your you know if you have your kids yourself uh, if they lash out at you or shout at you it's not coming from a place where they're angry or distressed or annoyed um they're not doing it um out of badness so sometimes a school will think it's a good idea to reduce a child's timetable because, again, they don't have the resources, as we know, and I'll go through why they don't have the resources uh, to support the child. Um, and rather than throwing him to the pack of lines um, as such um, in a distressed state, um, it's usually better to give them a shortened day. That's the reason I'm bringing that story into the equation. Um, but I will focus mostly on violence to um, violence in schools. Um, and I suppose, you know, the episode there that was in the newspaper isn't an isolated incident. In fact, a week after that, um, and although it's not a primary school related story, there was a teenager who was expelled again for a violent act. And again, the decision to expel him was overturned. There's, there's certainly, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that there's a growing problem of violence in, in schools. And I wonder, and I don't know why that is. I mean, I suppose, you know, this question comes up quite a bit. Why is there a growing, why is there growing violence um, in schools or in clubs or in various, various other organizations? Well, I mean, some of the reasons you hear scattered about would be, you know, parents aren't saying no to their children anymore or children are on iPads all the time and they're not interacting properly so they don't learn how to socialize or cope. Kids don't go outside anymore, for example, on their own to face adversity or adverse situations. You know, they're all you know, we're, we're protecting them too much. I mean, you remember when you were young, you probably went out playing football. Your mum didn't know where you were um, until you came back for your dinner and what sort of things would have happened to you. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, violent video games. Children are playing too many violent video games. Um, it could be the blame culture that's out there. You know, that everyone's blaming everyone. Else. Nobody's, nobody's at fault for anything anymore. It's always someone else's fault, you know. Um, for example, you know, every, <laughs> you know, we saw that with a particular politician, didn't we? You know, something, you know, you know, you make a mess of something, you do something wrong, or you, you know, you you, you climb something and fall down, and because there wasn't a sign to say the wall is high, that's the the, the person who built the wall's fault. You know, that that kind of stuff. Um, other reasons there's more exposure to violent media out there or the media is becoming more violent or even the fact of violence and aggression it seems to be becoming more tolerated you've got hero worship of celebrities such as you know conor mcgregor for example i don't know i don't i don't actually know anything about him i don't know why, why his name came into my head but even to the fact that violent crimes are being thrown out of court um all the time you know and you're wondering god how did that get thrown out of court then you're 
people will blame social media social media is to blame for everything that's wrong in society and then heaven forbid <laughs> the collapse of the catholic church in ireland that's what's causing all the problems well i don't know at the end of the day we actually don't know what it is i mean these are reasons people are bringing up and um, we all have our own theories and the theories that we probably have support what we think anyway um and if we're against for example if we're against mobile phones we'll probably blame it on mobile phones um personally I, I think it has to be some sort of general societal thing and uh, it's probably a number of the above reasons and others that I don't think I've, I've thought of up there. But violence is definitely becoming more acceptable and it's definitely on the up. I certainly, I mean, I, I mean, in my career, I've been teaching for almost 20 years and I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm, um, I've definitely um, seen um, a lot more anger and distress and, uh, and violence uh, from children in my, in my time. Um, violence is growing in all primary schools. Children are hitting, kicking, biting, scratching, headbutting, and assaulting adults, and it actually isn't okay. We actually, it, it, we have to say it. It isn't okay at all. That is, except when it comes to the government and dealing with it. And I, I, I don't really understand why the government are allowing it to happen through these Section Twenty Nine appeals. Um, do you know, I mean, a, a child is violent, really violent, you know, hospitalizes adults. The family, they're not blamed, you know, they're, they're not, I, I don't know if they're taking responsibility for, for, for the, for the in, incident, but they're certainly appealing it. And it's overturned. You know, and this isn't just an isolated incident. This happens quite, this happens uh, sometimes. A lot of the time it doesn't get into the newspapers, but it's definitely happening. And um, it's definitely not okay. And the thing is, I mean, a lot of the time people say this is just about children with additional needs or special needs or whatever. I, I, I use the term additional needs in this um, podcast. Um, I mean, and it's not isolated to uh, children with additional needs, although they're the ones that generally get into the newspapers. I see and hear of incidents daily where adults working in schools are attacked by children. And weirdly, they th- weirdly, some adults think this is okay. I've actually lost count of how many meetings I've had with parents where when their child has done something wrong, rather than deal with it, they actually blame the other person who the, the child has attacked. Um, and this isn't like, I'm t- not talking about my work specifically. I mean, I hear about this from, other, from, from colleagues. Um, you know, and they, they, sometimes they try and blame the teacher or if it happens regularly enough, sometimes, and, if, and, and, they may, and, and this may not be the case, they may, there has to be something else Perhaps they have a special need of some sort. Some parents will do this and they're looking for reasons why um, this happens. Um, now, I usually wouldn't mention my current job in a podcast, but I said this, this happens in every school to every principal. And if you're able to identify yourself from what I'm saying, well, I guess you're halfway, I suppose, to recognizing that it isn't OK. Um, yes, sometimes when a child hits out or is aggressive, there is an underlying condition. I get that. However, should it even be okay, even if the child has additional needs? Well, it can't be prevented in some cases where it's actually not the child's fault. The school must be supported with specialized staff to deal with violent behavior. But right now, what can schools actually do about a child that's exhibiting violent behaviors? Well, I mean, one idea would be to set up a behavior plan. Um, And in a lot of schools, 
obviously will do this um, on their continuum of support. So how would this, how does that actually work? And, and lots, and in fact, pretty much all schools will do this if a child is exhibiting behaviours um, that could be deemed aggressive. Um, well, first of all, we would um, use the continuum of support, which is um, what was recommended by NEPS a number of years ago, and we're all using that now at this, po- at this point. First thing would be some classroom interventions, a classroom support plan where uh, plans would be drawn up between um, the, the teacher, the sp- a support teacher, and the parents to help the child cope in his environment. There's uh, plenty of checklists available and so on and so forth, and some targets would be set. Now, if that doesn't work and the child's uh, behaviours are still continuing, it would move on to a support, uh, a school support plan, where again we'd uh, look at, you know, schools would look at at ideas and uh, ways to help. Um, again, um, over a little bit of time, and then finally uh, the school uh, support plus plan, which um, will, which involves outside agencies uh, uh, such as NEPS and potentially uh, SNA support and all that sort of stuff. Um, the HSE obviously should be involved too but that, that that's the thing I mean that all sounds lovely but let's say we need the HSE involved so we need to get um, some sort of intervention therapy psychiatric help whatever it might be so you know the HSE but the problem is there's usually some sort of minimum of 18 months of a waiting list before a child is even seen I mean, 18 months is generous. It can be up to three years on a waiting list. And in my experience of this, even when they are seen, the first thing they'll do is they'll bat. They'll bat it back to the schools and say, oh, get let your NEP psychologist see them. And that, it's nine times out of ten. NEPs aren't going to help. NEPs is a, a, psycho, a psychological service. And, um, and a limited one at that too, a very good one, but a very limited in what it can do. And also has a waiting list. Um, and often it's completely inappropriate. And then another few years pass. And then, you know, sure, it, it, often they don't. Usually the, the place in the school is lost because nothing has been done. But I mean, the other thing I mentioned there is sure you could apply for SNA support. Well, I think if you've listened to this podcast before, um, you'll, you'll know what the story is if you apply for an SNA. And I'm just going to go through what happens, what you do. And this is basically taken and copied uh, from episode five, where I, um, where I said if I were the Minister for Education, I would scrap the NCSE who are responsible for providing SNAs to, to, to schools. Um, basically, um, you will f- it is likely that you will fail to get support from the NCSE, and this is why. Um, back in the day, and I'm basically repeating from episode five, so I'll do it as quickly as I can. When, when I started off in teaching, if an SNA was needed back in my day, you made a phone call to your CNO, the CNO would come, she'd have a look, you'd have a bit of a barney, but generally you get an SNA where it was needed, um, as, you know, in most cases, and it'd be all wrapped up in a few days, done. Now, a school, um, if a school has enrollment for the child with behavioural difficulties, it's clear, and it's clear that the child needs uh, needs the support of an SNA. It's so clear, you know, you could be, you know, this is, I'm going to give you this example, like uh, this is the example I gave, that if you spend 30 seconds in the classroom, you, you would lead you to the conclusion that this child needs extra help. You know, I mean, you wouldn't even need 30 seconds. But to get an SNA for this child, a teacher has to follow the continuum of support. And we've gone through that before, and it can take up to six weeks um, into mid-October. Say this is the 1st of September, you're into mid-October. And then given that mainstream class teachers are generally pretty good at dealing with ordinarily poor behaviours, a child with a more severe behaviour would obviously fail here. And we know that even before we started, and that would move to the school support plan. So again, we keep going. 
Um, and the next stage, one would think, will be to apply for a CNO for the extra support. However, before you even do that, so 12 weeks would have passed more or less. However, before, before you even apply to the CNO, you're going to need the following. The child's going to need a behavior-related diagnosis. And if they don't have one, you're gone. So you could have a child who is exhibiting awfully, awful behaviors. But if they're not diagnosed with anything, there's nothing. You can forget it. You're, you're gone. There is no, um, no support. On top of this, they actually have to be under the care of a psychologist for their behavior. So again, I mean, that's an added layer. And that has to be put in writing by a psychologist. So you're going to need a psychologist on board. Uh, again, another, uh, for, for another thing. And if you haven't, um, so maybe you've got the diagnosis and that was done. And you think that's enough. No, no, they actually have to be under their care for the term. You also fill in another form called a BCN1 form, which takes hours to fill out. You also need to fill in a regular application form for an SNA, which also takes time. You then have to ensure that every other child with an SNA is um, with SNA access is fully reviewed to ensure that the school hasn't somehow missed that they've extra capacity. So that means you, you actually have to prepare full files, not only on the child that you want to get support, but also on all the other children in the school with SNA access. You actually have to fill out, ex, you know, full reports on every child so if you're in a big school that can that can be a dozen children you know and, and, and those files are big you know um it can take a number of weeks to compile all of this anyway as i said and this information especially and uh, it would be would be uh, as i said in a big school this stuff is then packed into a box sent to the sino and has to spend days and um, who has to basically spend days reading through lots of this paperwork and finding anything that might not take a box um, and generally they will find something that doesn't take a box, send it back to you and you have to go back over again and try again. Anyway, the, once you've done that, you've gone through toing and froing, the senior then visits the school and tries to find further capacity within the staff and principals basically kowtow to try and get enough support and then they make a decision which is passed on to the Department of Education. After a while, the Department of Education either sanctions the SNA or doesn't sanction the SNA um, recommendation for the CNO, so there's not even, there's not even a guarantee. Meanwhile, Santa's been and gone, it's past Christmas, and the child has likely regressed even further. The process actually takes months now. And this is even more infuriating for children moving from preschool to primary school. Preschools, basically, you get full support, a completely different system. If a child needs help, they don't need a diagnosis, they don't need anything, they get a visit from, some, from an inspector who says, yeah, you need one-to-one -one help. And then, even with that, they go to primary school then, and all those supports are just whipped away from them, whipped away, they get nothing. And the only time you'll get an SNA is in exceptional circumstances, what they say. And even then, it's just access, which means nothing. Access just means that you might be seen. And basically, that famous word is access. Basically, in the early days of SNAs, SNAs are generally assigned to a child. And when the child left school, the SNA lost their job. And while this wasn't a great model, the, imp you know, the improvement um, where SNAs are now assigned to schools. But if it, so if a child leaves, the last SNA loses their job. Um, that was the system, but that's basically bastardized now. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Now schools are basically allocated a number of SNA hours and it's basically left to the schools to decide how best to use them and they're never enough. And a CNO will happily give access to an SNA if it means not increasing the number of SNAs in the school. And this has basically led to completely nonsensical practice, such as, you know, th these are things that happen. Only one SNA can be granted for any year group. So you could have a, a group you could have a school, a massive school with six sets of junior infants, one SNA for six sets. So, in, you know, or you could have country school, let's say, with two junior infants. They would have, you know, an SNA could be granted to that school, but only one SNA could be granted to the sixth stream um, junior infant class. Um, 
so even if you if, even if there is a room uh even if you have a room or, or or a junior infant stream where there's a need for more than one SNA, you can forget it um it's 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 i don't know i don't understand it some children with access uh, to an SNA never even get to see an SNA. Um, SNA unions have insisted that any allocated hours have to be filled to the maximum of 25 hours per week. So if you get one full post from a CNO to cover at least two children, so 0.5 and 0.5, the school has to offer that to one SNA, even if the needs of the children happen to materialise at the same time, for example, yard times. Um, and psychological recommendations are just completely ignored. They're routinely ignored by, um, by the system. So schools are basically left with two choices. Uh, sorry, I just, I'm finished that bit now. Uh, that's basically how you uh, about applying for um, SNAs. So schools are basically left with two choices. You can exclude the child from school or shorten their day to give them a chance. But what happens when we do this? When we, ex- you know, when you exclude a child, there's a section 29, um, and schools are often forced to take violent students back. And why? Well, I've been through a section 29, not for an expulsion, but for something else completely different. And it's not, it's not important what that was, but I've experienced the process of a section 29. And it basically consists of sitting around a table in a room where a panel basically go through your school's policies with, with, with a fine tooth comb and they try to find anything, anything at all, where you will have to bring that child back, take that child back. And even if you have everything covered, they try to find some way of tripping you up. And I, I've been there and it's an undignified experience and there is nothing nothing whatsoever fair about it even though at the end they say to you do you think you've had a fair process to which even if you say no they'll keep coming back to you saying do you think you have a fair process and you could go on all night and eventually you just get too tired and say yes probably i don't know anyway like you can have this example for i know it's trite but school says yes this child broke the arm of a teacher um so basically they said this this the, not the school sorry this <laughs> the section 29 people the child broke the arm of a teacher but you can't expel the child because there is nothing in your behavior policy to say that you will expel the child if he breaks your arm so this might be the reason why you have to take a child back but the school says oh no 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 actually no no it does look look and they point to the of their policy which explains that the child will be expelled for breaking any part of a teacher's body and the section 29 people say ah but it doesn't specifically state the arm so anyway, I, anyway, I'm exaggerating, but I wouldn't be surprised if I wasn't. I, I could actually imagine that actually happening. Um, and then the school has to either spend thousands uh, of euro in a high court appealing the decision, and then they probably have to take the child back anyway, and there's nothing they can do. It's just, it's just wrong. Um, how many other jobs would, would, would anyone be not only allowed to physically assault someone else, but if they did, would actually have to work with that person again? I mean, I, I do realize there are a few of these in, in maybe in the care and social work area, but that's also wrong. I mean, I suppose as an aside, it's kind of I find it funny how the public generally uh, give out about the amount of sick leave uh, certain jobs take when they're routinely physically attacked by their clients. Um, yet they're bad. They're bad people for taking for actually having to take sick leave if they've been physically assaulted by by one of their clients. Anyway, so what do you, what do schools do when there is a child who? who basically hasn't been supported by the NCSE, hasn't been supported by the HSE, or anybody else for that matter, and basically you're a school left without any support, and you have a child that may be either a danger to himself or herself, they might be a danger to other children, and they may be a danger to the staff. Well, Pat Goff uh, said recently, uh, at the time of the recording, in an Oroctus um, uh, investigation, whatever they call them, Oroctus meeting, you try not to expel the child, and you try to set up a shortened day to gain some sort of success for the child and with the child at the centre. And sometimes a child with violent tendencies can cope for a certain amount of time in school. 
usually up until yard time a lot of the time because yard time is uh, fairly unstructured. So why do you force the child then to go out and fail every single day? You hear people saying, oh, just why don't you use your um, support staff then? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, the NCSE grants at least 15% less hours than you actually need for a normal caseload. So basically, you're working off of a, a deficit of what you need. And secondly, set teachers are supposed to be used for learning support, not restraint, not for care needs. And yet this is what we're now actually being asked to do. I'm trying to think of an analogy in a different job. And here's, here's a really bad one. Let's, let's take a factory that produces boxes. I don't know. I, I don't know why I've thought of boxes. <laughs> anyway. Let's, let's, let's go with it. Let's say there's a team of 100 workers there and they produce 10,000 boxes every day. Now the boss one day decides he's gonna cut the team by 15% and tell them that they're just gonna to have to work harder. So the 85 staff that are left ask for extra training or extra support and they're just told, no, no, sorry, we can't afford it now. You'll, you'll, have, to have, to, you'll have to work, sorry. So being good box factory workers, they somehow manage to produce 10,000 boxes most days. I mean, in fairness, it's very hard you know to, to 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 give that amount of output and on some days look they've only made uh, they've they only produced nine thousand boxes and the front page of the local newspaper starts giving out that there is now a box crisis and um, so basically the the box people the box workers are going gosh and they wait for their union to explain why this has happened but of course nothing happens their union aren't saying anything so anyway a new manager comes in and says he recognizes there is a problem okay fair enough there is a problem and that workers are not producing the boxes and they and he comes up with a new system now the system which promises not to cut hours for two years basically so we will keep what you have is celebrated by the union say so this is phenomenal you know it's great news the best news ever but unfortunately at this time there are loads more boxes more demand for boxes to be produced and the workers can only still produce about 10,000 boxes tops and not all the time. Now the media say that these workers are just not working hard enough and the owners of the box factory say they have some new systems coming on stream to support the box factory workers. So anyway, let, let's just stretch this to complete weird levels. <laughs> anyway, all the time these box workers are producing boxes, there's actually people in the factory who are learning to produce these boxes at the same time. So they're training, you know, training these people to produce the boxes. Now each box factory worker has to train these people. However, over the last while, some of these learners are being violent and injuring the workers. Look, look, I actually, actually, this is just turning into a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> look, the point of this really bad analogy is that the situation in schools is totally impossible. We can't, we cannot, we cannot do things without the resources. We can't help children who who are expo experienced violent, uh, uh, violent, uh, you know, who are being violent. We can't help them if we don't have enough supports. Effectively, we can't. We never had enough. Then they were cut, and they continue to be cut in the um, uh, because there's more demand but no extra resources. But however, it's easier to blame us, and that's what every newspaper and media outlet decided to do last uh, in the last couple of weeks um, when uh, at this time of the recording so here's some examples the independent so basically there was a study based from trinity college i don't know if i mentioned this um um basically uh, uh, um i don't know if it's trinity college sorry it's, uh, there was some study basically saying that uh, basically the headline schools that that shorten days are basically evil so basically this is what deborah brennan of tu dublin said she said children are basically being denied their right to education and this is the reason because of the lack of acceptance and accommodation of their differences. That's, that's the conclusion of the study. Did they talk to anyone? 
Any, any, uh, did they talk to teachers here? Did they talk to schools? Um, it goes on. Schools appear to be using a short school day as a behavior management shortcut, sometimes when dealing with quite serious behavior problems without consulting experts outside the school or addressing root causes. Yeah. And RTE joined in. That was very nice of them. It calls the practice an abuse of power, which excludes children from school in a hidden manner. I'm not hiding it. No one's hiding it. Well, I don't know where they're going. And then it goes on. The report says there were efforts. This is some, basically, someone said there was efforts to build a case against a child rather than address their needs. And this is a common feature of cases that they examine closely. The report said this. I, I can't believe this. I mean, I, I, what schools would do this? It just seems bizarre. Um, just carry on. A parent said they did everything to build a case against him. This is their child. One of his many crimes, in inverted commas, was trying to climb a barrier that was keeping him on his own in the schoolyard when he wanted to reach the other children. What was he going to do to the other children? I mean, I, I'm assuming the, the school isn't it wasn't uh, preventing the child from reaching other children because he wanted to be nice to them. I think they were trying to protect the other. Ch- I would imagine. I can't. I don't. We're not. We're not. I don't think we're monsters. Um, I mean, seriously. And then, anyway, worst of all, the mother of a second eight-year-old child with Down syndrome said, people talk about resources. I never realized the biggest resource I needed was the right attitude. I mean, how insulting, honestly. I mean, this is all taken directly from media reports. It's astounding that no one has even considered why, school, why schools are doing this instead of actually getting rid of the kids. If we didn't like them so much, why don't we just get rid of them? Why don't we just expel them? Like, it takes way more effort for a school to put in place these shortened days than it is to simply remove the child from school. Get, get rid of them. You know, if we, if we think there's, if we think, you know, that we're just being, we're just mean and we're horrible. It would be easier to do that, but we don't. We actually don't do that. And where was the public defence of schools? Well, here's the INTO's response. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll read the whole lot, but, I, but just, it's not too long. Primary schools have always been open, inclusive place for special needs students. Today's report published by Inclusion Ireland does not reflect the successful inclusion of thousands of students with special needs in our primary schools and special schools over the last number of decades. So good. All children have a right to education. Boards and managements do not put pupils on reduced timetables lightly. Absolutely. They do so out of a desire to do what's in the best interest of the child in question after full consultation with the parents involved. Absolutely. Reduced timetables are never the first port of call. Schools will endeavour to do whatever they can to avoid such a need arising. They are the last resort when a child simply isn't coping with the full school day. In recent years, resources for children with acute special education needs have been cut, reducing access to resource teacher support, full-time special needs assistance, and therapeutic support services for schools. Therapy services such as speech and language supports are practically non-existent in schools, as are supports for children's mental health. The NEPS is severely under-resourced at present. Resources and supports are inefficient for schools to provide an appropriate education for some pupils with special educational needs. This creates situations where the resources available in schools are not sufficient to provide for inclusion in that setting. It's absolutely accurate. It's not really that angry. Um, I wish it was. I, thought, I, 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 think, um, I think the word condemns, I think the word um, insulted um, should have been used in that statement. It, 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 it's, it's factual. Um, I'll give it that. Um, there was the Oireachtas uh, committee uh, where Pat Goff uh, spoke on behalf of the IPPN. I just mentioned him earlier. Um, he was brief and he was polite. And in fairness, he basically got his message across. And he, he, he even owned up 
to the practice of reducing um a time uh, reducing time does and justified it very well um there is also breed core from NABSME, which is the um for represents boards of management and uh, for uh, um uh, for special education needs i i mean she she joked more about being a frequent flyer at the Octress committee but i guess in fairness she did say that boards do not shorten days lightly i just didn't sense really any anger from any of them um especially the INCO where they they didn't read I mean, the INCO didn't need to be polite I mean I mean I guess when you're in the when you're up against the Oireachtas um you've got to hold yourself together properly you don't you know you're on video and you're kind of and you're live you don't want to you don't want to say anything you regret so you kind of have to hold your cool but maybe they're all so used to all this nonsense that they've just become immune to it themselves I don't know I don't know I suppose the anger was left to the regular teachers and here's three examples. Um, one from a member of the Voice for Teachers Facebook page um, in, a long, in, a, in a bit of a longer response. Um, it says, schools who found themselves having no option to impose shortened school days on a very rare few pupils were thrown to the wolves as though they were doing this on a whim. No school wants to impose shortened days, suspend or refuse to enroll. They do so only as a last resort for the sake of the child, fellow pupils and staff. Why do they do this? Because you minister do not provide the necessary supports to the children and teachers you are right there shouldn't be a shortened day they should be fully supported and all this is within your remit minister the stick you are threatening schools with will do nothing to improve the situation of these children and their classmates only you putting in supports they desperately need in place will do that um, and if, uh, this is uh, and from another principle in a fantastic bigger analogy about it, the education system being kind of like a train at the moment she says, you, minister, by talking about illegality of restricted timetables, ignoring the reality of children who are physically abusing staff and forcing schools to open send units, are not fostering inclusion. You are just ensuring that one day the train will break down and it will cost you a lot of time and money to get it fixed. And, is it, and if the guys at the table, the, the, the IPPN, INTO and NABSME, uh, are saying they can't help if the media don't publish their rebuttals well maybe they need to take some lessons from this teacher in cork who plainly put it sir schools must consider all the children in their care while the irish times has interviewed parents on their disappointment at the shortened day for their child it's worth remembering the parents of other children are no less forthright in their concerns and worries in my experience children are placed on shorter days when their behavior has become a danger to other children in the class when a teacher or a principal contacts a parent to say that their child has been kicked hit or slapped they will always be met with a question so what are you going to do to make the classroom a safe place for my child suspension is not really an option so the onus is on the school to manage the child's timetable as best they can hence the shorter school day it goes on and uh, i thought one of the things a letter to an editor is, is not really the place to defend this practice but i pen these few points in the hope that you may deem it appropriate to explore this matter further in a more balanced way um i thought it was a really good letter um and uh, fair play to uh, that teacher who i know uh, um for um for writing it um and getting it published so basically what i'm trying to say is it's not okay it's not okay at all none of it's okay in fact it's so not okay that even the INTO managed to wake from its slumber and actually say something it's been so long um since i've said anything um <laughs> you know you've had anything to do with it i mean it, it, like in fact in fairness to them and to the IPPN and maybe even NAVSME they've actually def they have actually defended the practice of shortening school days for violent behavior and often when a representative body that has been completely absent for a decade or so something it, it takes something big to wake them up 
I mean, this is a terrible analogy. I know what I'm just about to say is, 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 is ridiculous. But remember when Georgia started causing trouble to Russia a few years ago and no one had heard of anything from Russia for a while. Jeez, it took two days and Georgia softened their gallop, whatever, uh, or softened their coughs. I'm mixing two metaphors there. Anyway, I know I'm grasping at straws uh, here about the INTO and all them, but a week after this happened, the government actually also kept, kept, came again uh, at teachers and, and schools and decided to threaten schools this time over some bizarre parent student charter thing that they're trying to they're trying to bring in they've been promising and actually haven't done a tap about it anyway i was surprised to actually see that the ippn released a statement criticizing it so maybe there is a change of foot and maybe this podcast uh, will become a, a bit of a less lonely place uh, when i'm given out at least uh, our friends in, in power might be uh, might be saying the same thing so any back to not tolerating violence against school staff so what would i do if i were the minister for education well put simply i wouldn't tolerate it in fact, if there was attack on any member of staff in the school, there would be no Section 29s. No, do you know, one of the following things would need to happen if a member of teaching staff or any staff was, was attacked. Or, or, um, and, and this would have happened. The child would be immediately suspended. That's it. Pending one of the following things. There would need to be a written assurance and apology from the child or the parent, possibly, if, if, the, child, uh, if the child wasn't, wasn't able to, and probably the child. Um, and if it would happen again, they would be excluded from school. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone gets frustrated. You know, I can get that. I mean, I know, I know, it's, I know some, some children, they, they might lose it, and they might just go for it. But generally, people hold it together. But you give them one, I, I, I'm given one chance. However, if this was impossible for any reason, you know, perhaps the child isn't in control of his behaviour, perhaps there's an underlying need, um, and that's quite possible. In fact, um, you, know, it, you know, based on what you're hearing in the media, it seems to be always that, but it isn't always. I mean, there's, the, the child doesn't necessarily have to have an additional need. But let's say that's the case. You know, a care needs assistant would immediately have to be put in place in order to give support to the child. You, could, you, can't, um, okay, you, you, you can't have the child in your classroom if they're going to be violent. Bring in some sort of assistant who's fully trained. The support worker is going to be, it might be an SNA, will be fully trained in crisis prevention and a plan will be put in place to make sure the behaviours de-escalate for full integration. That's all there would be. There wouldn't be much more to it than that. Just provide the support, a person to come in to help. Furthermore, if it was deemed that the child was to be high risk to other children in the school, the needs of the other children would have to take precedence. It isn't okay for, uh, for them to have to be hurt again and again, so proper supports have to be put in place. Whether that's one-to-one -one supervision at break times, or having to go home at break times, shortened days, or even perhaps a special setting where that's needed. We can't have a risk to other children in the school either. And I know this isn't necessarily like me, I mean you're probably listening to me going, gosh, Who's taking the real Simon? It wouldn't be. He's usually much more inclusive, um, uh, um, you know, when he's doing these podcasts. But I have to draw the line when it comes to violence, and I don't mean, I don't mean particularly, um, you know. I mean violence. I don't know what I. I'm trying to think of the of what I don't mean. I I mean I don't I don't mean where you know a kid, you know, has a little scrap with another kid, or there's like someone shouts at a teacher. And I mean actual violence where they hurt the adult badly like i mean you know like that's that's what i'm talking about or when they're attacking like um a, a child. that's what i mean i'm not um you know violence is never okay but it can be stopped i mean the thing is i'm you know the thing is i don't i'm, I'm not saying 
don't, you know, they don't support anyone. You, you need to be properly supported. That's, you know, that's the only thing that's missing. In fact, I'd argue strongly that if a child was given the right supports as early as possible, then there would likely be no problems of violence. I've seen children going from trying to cope on their own in a, in a, in a, in a mainstream setting with no supports to being so distressed that their only answer, basically, when, uh, to coping is to become violent to get what they need. Their needs, you know, their needs aren't being met. It must be so frustrating, just you know, for a, for a child. They're they're looking for something, whatever it might be, um, and they can't get it. What would you do? You would go to the end of Earth to get it, and including uh, um, resorting to violence. Um, but it's awful. I mean, it is awful, but it is preventable. Support. That's what we need. However, I mean, given, you know, you give one-to-one support for any, for, for any um, children who are acting violently, there are some cases where even on a one-to-one level, some children cannot cope, and this is where special settings do need to happen. And we've heard in one of the previous episodes that these don't exist. I mean, they should exist, but they don't. There's only eight EBD classes, EBD or Emotional Behavioural Disorder classes, in the whole country. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's unforgivable, to be honest with you. And some people might wonder about children being violent to other children. I mean, I'm only talking about staff at the moment. But interestingly, there's actually more support for, for these situations, to a point. I mean, if a child is constantly attacking another child, there's anti-bullying policies out there. I mean, I mean, however, to be fair, I mean, those things aren't great either. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, there shouldn't be... Violence should not be acceptable, really. Um, and where it can't be helped, it should be supported. And then... I suppose some people might say, but what about the tiny kids, the ones that don't even know what they're doing? You know, you know, the four year, you know, four junior infants, basically. And they're, they're kind of generally, you know, regular, you know, and typically developing, you know, five year olds or whatever, four and five year olds. I mean, they're just like kittens, really, aren't they? They're puppies, you know, and, they're, and they don't really realize when their play kind of gets too rough. You know, you, you often see little kittens pawing each other. Actually, you don't even need to if you're a teacher. You just see junior infants playing away and all of a sudden the game gets too rough and then someone gets hurt. Um, I mean, look, I'm not suggesting these kids get kicked out of school, in fairness. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not a complete monster. Um, although, although, I mean, you know, if the newspapers uh, are going about it, you know, maybe they, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, we, 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 have to, we have to have a little bit of common sense and be age appropriate too. And yes, even four-year-olds know it's not okay to hit their teachers. Um, sort of like they know it. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of similar. Like, you, you kind of, children know that you're not supposed to hit adults. I mean, I, I think, I don't know, it's an innate kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, we, we teach our children it's, it's not okay to hit them. Um, you know, it's sort of like if you're, you know, you've all, some of you who have siblings or um, who are raised in families it, um, where, where there was more than one child, you knew, you, you knew as a child it was probably all right to have fisticuffs or have a scrap with your siblings. But when it came to your parents, you knew you didn't hit your parents. And if you did hit your parents, you knew you'd crossed a very, very, very strong line. So you just didn't do it. Well, from what I'm hearing, I don't know if that's the case anymore. And maybe that goes back to our original question at the beginning of the podcast. Why is there a growing acceptance of violence in society today? Maybe that's another, and maybe that's another reason why there is a growing uh, violence towards staff members. Look, there my thoughts on um, violence in schools. I don't think it should be tolerated. Um, however, I do think children who are violent should be supported. They shouldn't be kicked out of school uh, uh, for being for being violent. Um, 
with no supports. Schools shouldn't be blamed for not being able to provide the supports because the supports are not available. The NCSE are not providing adequate SNA coverage. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's supported. Uh, obviously, they're supporting the government by not doing that. Um, but schools shouldn't be blamed for that deficit. Um, there's been this is just basically a, a result of the cuts to uh, to to uh, special education needs over the last decade or so, where it's been made harder and harder um, for children with additional needs to get supported. And behavioural needs, as we say, are a growing thing, and no extra supports have been given at all um, for this very need. So effectively, um, while I would not tolerate violence um, as a minister for education, if violence occurred, I would support it. Um, as best I possibly could um, to ensure that no child would be an outsider. Next week, I'm going to be focusing on the INTO's favourite subject, class size. I hope to spend some time investigating why Ireland continues to have one of the largest class sizes in the OECD, and if I were the Minister for Education, I would not only be reducing it, but I'd be installing a maximum class size. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every Wednesday morning just in time for your midweek stump. It's almost sure to get your blood boiling. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify or any other podcasting app by searching for either onshaw.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Please also feel free to review this podcast so others can find it more easily. Um, I hope, uh, yeah, this episode, as I said, um, has been all about violence. Um, it's 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 not a nice subject. It's 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 kind of interesting to see that um, it is definitely something that's in the um, on, on in focus at the moment when I while I'm recording this. And I do hope uh, that uh, the Minister for Education will uh, support children with um, with the with needs and vi- and and being violent to a teacher. I know um, is not something. That children like doing. Um, as I said, they they um, this is this is um, it comes from a, from a place um, of distress. Um, listen, I, I, that is it for this week. Um, we'll talk about something lighter, class size. I don't. Some of you might consider class size a very big topic, um, but um, hopefully uh, you'll be in here next week, and uh, we'll see you then. Thanks very much for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>